Welcome to another episode of the Tom Schirmer Podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. Hope everyone had a great weekend and is continuing to have a great summer. I know for some of you, summer is coming to a close in a couple of weeks. And for others, you're just finding your summer groove. But uh, wherever you are in the summer stretch, I hope you're having a great time. We have had a stretch of glorious weather in Vancouver uh, that I happened to be home for last week. So that was great. But I'm on the road today and again on the road for two weeks. Uh, Today I'm in Pasadena, Texas, and I'll be here today and tomorrow. Then I head to Rochester, New York for Wednesday and Thursday, a weekend in Chicago, the Chicago area for a Solution Tree meeting. And then it's Southern California on Monday and Tuesday, followed by Snowflake, Arizona. I love that. Snowflake, Arizona on Thursday, August the 3rd, then back home on the 5th. So for me, uh, the crazy season is definitely underway. Uh, Upcoming uh, PD events to remind you of, if you want to get a jump on that for the fall, grading from the inside out. Uh, The two-day training will be in Jonesboro, Arkansas, September 25 and 26, Charleston, South Carolina, October 11th and 12th, and St. Louis, Missouri, December 6th and 7th. And a reminder that the December session in St. Louis is facilitated by Natalie Vardabasso. Standards-based learning in action, that two-day training will be in Seattle, Washington, October 16th and 17th. Links in the show notes for all of that. And again, a reminder that my latest book, Redefining Student Accountability, is finally out all about teaching responsibility and other behavioral attributes without distorting a student's achievement grade. Uh, Link in the show notes for the book as well. Okay, thanks for tuning in again this week. Big welcome to any new listeners joining in for the first time, and a big thank you to longtime listeners. I really do appreciate all of you. This week, my guest is, it's a little different. Uh, My guest is Nikita Afonso. Nikita is a singer-songwriter from the Metro Vancouver area, but most importantly, Nikita is a former student of mine at both the middle school and high school level, so I'm very excited to have her on the podcast. She's got a growing musical career, and I'm excited to talk about that with her. And in Assessment Corner, I'm going to talk about why it's time to start pushing back against those who are resisting change in assessment and grading. So that's today's plan. Let's get to it. My conversation with Nikita Alfonso is coming up, but first, it's time for a Mindset Minute, and I want to open by talking about The Biology of Belief. Now, one of the most impactful books I've ever read about mindset was a book by that title, The Biology of Belief, and it was written by Dr. Bruce Lipton. Uh, Bruce Lipton is a renowned cell biologist, and the book was first published in 2005. Essentially, the book outlines the scientific discovery that all of the cells in our bodies are affected by our thoughts. Now, let me read you this from the introduction to give you kind of a sense of what the book is all about. Here's what Lipton writes in the introduction. Quote, I came to the conclusion that we are not victims of our genes, but masters of our fates, able to create lives overflowing with peace, happiness, and love. I, Lipton writes, tested my hypothesis in my own life after a nudge from my audiences who asked me why my insights hadn't made me happier. And they were right. I needed to integrate my new biological awareness into my daily life. I knew I had succeeded when on a bright Sunday morning in New Orleans, a coffee shop waitress asked me, honey, you are the happiest person I ever did see. Tell me, child, why are you so happy? End quote. The pervasive sort of idea that, you know, genes as destiny, that theory, according to Lipton, that 
sort of idea is that our inherited genetics represent our fate. And he highlights throughout the book this relatively new field in biology called epigenetics, which literally means control above genetics. And he goes into all of the scientific details around it in the book, and I'm not going to pretend to be able to repeat that for, for you here. If you're interested in reading the book, um, I would highly recommend it. But he talks about epigenetics, essentially, which again means control above genetics. So essentially, the book is about changing our thoughts so we can literally change our lives by changing our bodies. But here is a very important point that I think many people misunderstand about positive thinking. Now, clearly positive thinking gets a bad rap in some places, and honestly, rightly so. All of this is just not about thinking positive thoughts. On page 97, Lipton writes this, quote, The mere thinking of positive thoughts will not necessarily have an impact on our lives at all. In fact, sometimes people who flunk positive thinking, he says, I love that, become more debilitated because now they think their situation is hopeless. They believe that they have exhausted all mind and body remedies. What those positive thinking dropouts haven't understood is that the seemingly separate subdivisions of the mind, the conscious and the subconscious, are actually interdependent, end quote. Now, Lipton goes on to explain this interconnectedness, that the conscious mind is the creative mind. It's the one that can conjure up all of the positive thoughts. The subconscious mind is a repository. It's strictly habitual. It will play the same behavioral responses to life signals over and over and over again. Now, here's the rub. The subconscious mind is a million times more powerful than the conscious mind. Lipton states that if the conscious mind desires conflict with the programs in the subconscious mind, the subconscious mind will win. You can repeat as many positive affirmations as you want, but if the messages that have been programmed into us are the opposite, then that will undermine all of our best efforts. Efforts. The main message of the book is that our positive and negative beliefs not only impact our health, but they also impact every aspect of our life. Lipton writes that our beliefs act like filters on a camera, essentially changing how we see the world. Our biology adapts to those beliefs. When we truly recognize that our beliefs are that powerful, we hold the key to freedom, he says. So all one has to do is think about the placebo effect, that that whole phenomenon alone illustrates how powerful our minds can be. Lipton outlines this Baylor School of Medicine study that was published in 2002 in the New England Journal of Medicine, which essentially was looking at knee surgeries. And the pervasive, uh, pervasive thinking was that there's no such thing as a placebo effect in knee surgery. So Lipton outlines this story in great detail, but I'll give you the gist of it. Um, what this one surgeon was trying to do in his study his name was Dr. Bruce Mosley, was essentially find out which aspect of the surgery had the greatest impact. The patients in the study were divided into three groups. The first group had their damaged knee cartilage shaved. The second group had their knee joint flushed out. And the third group got fake surgery, where they went through the motions of the surgery, including the sedating of the patient, so they would think they received the surgery. And the results were absolutely wild. The groups who received the actual surgeries improved, but what was unbelievable was that the third group, the placebo group, improved just as much as the other two groups. The placebo uh, patients did not even find out that they had fake surgery for two years. Anyway, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I cannot recommend this book enough if you're just trying to understand the science behind what happens to our bodies when we think positively or we start to change the way we think. Anyway, like I said, I want to share a little bit about that book. Uh, it's called The Biology Belief by Dr. Bruce Lipton. 
and it's very detailed, but it's a very accessible read about how our biology literally changes based upon what we are thinking and feeling. Our emotions are a reflection of what we are currently thinking, so we can change our emotions by changing what we think. That is the power of a positive mindset. Joining me this week for the interview is a very special guest. Her name is Nikita Afonso. Nikita is an acoustic singer and guitarist and songwriter based in Vancouver, BC. After moving to the Metro Vancouver area from the Okanagan in 2014, Nikita has quickly become an in-demand event singer. Her delicate yet soulful voice is perfect for intimate gatherings such as wedding ceremonies, cocktail hours, and of course, dinner parties. While she is an award-winning songwriter herself, she loves to perform cover songs ranging from pop to jazz, and with a wide range of songs and genres, along with over a decade of experience, Nikita has the ability to captivate audiences of all ages. But most importantly for me, listeners, Nikita is a former student of mine from both her middle school and high school days. I've known her since she was 11 years old. I know her family. I know her extended family. And I've been following her career. And I am so excited to have her here today. So Nikita, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy to have you. And I'm so happy that you're finally calling me Tom instead of calling me Mr. Shimmer. That has been a work in progress, as we know, as I've messaged yeah. you uh, during COVID when you were singing live and all of those things. I'm like, you're an adult now. You can call me Tom. It's uh, a process to get used to. It certainly is for sure. Listeners, this, of course, is a little bit different than the usual slate of guests I have, but it's the summertime and I thought we would do something fun. And I'm a big Nikita Afonso fan, and I hope by the end of this conversation, you will be too. So Nikita, let's get started with the obvious question. I think that most people, you know, most people love music. We all love music. We love to listen to music. But at what point in your life did music go from being something that you'd listen to and enjoy to something that was going to become your profession? So maybe take us back to, you know, a pivotal moment uh, when you realized that music was going to be what your life was going to be all about. So I think my first love of performing came from when I was four years old. I was in a talent show for my daycare and I sang My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. <laughs> and... Um, as I grew up, I just always loved music. I loved performing. I was also in dance. I had a I had an all-girl band when I was in grade five till about grade seven. And um, I just fell in love with it. And I don't think that I ever really had another idea for another job. Um, nothing else inspired me as much as music. And it was just always my focus. It was always going, going to be somehow in my life as my job, whether that was going to be teaching music or performing. But it wasn't until high school, I would say probably grade 10, when I realized I can do this for a living and perform. And um, I don't want any other job. I don't necessarily want a side job. I want to do music full time. So that's when I really started um, taking it more seriously and learning how can I make money um, and also realizing you don't need to be famous to be a musician and be a working musician. And um, yeah, so in grade 10, I started performing in festivals, coffee shops, basically anywhere that would have me, um, senior care homes, anywhere. 
And I started building my repertoire and then I moved to Vancouver and eventually I was able to do it full time. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. You know, it's funny you say grade 10 because I have this distinct image of you and and you, you may not remember the exact day. I don't remember the exact day, but you were in grade nine. And I was walking down the hallway at, at uh, Penticton Secondary School to go talk to uh, uh, Justin Glibbery, who was the, one of the music teachers at the time of the school. And a bunch of your friends were sit, you were seated outside the far end of, of the door that enters the gym, and they were waiting for volleyball practice. And all of them were sitting in a circle, and you were there with your guitar. And I remember, <laughs> I think you were singing Taylor Swift at the time or something. And I was like, I walked by, and I just thought, Wow. She's really good. And then I walked in to Thanks. talk to Justin or whatever, but I still have that image of just you kind of holding court with your guitar as all of your friends and, and classmates were waiting for their uh, grade nine volleyball practice that was about to happen. So I don't know if you did that often. I only saw it once, but, uh, but I do remember that for sure. Um, and so we are all, you know, uh, for, for me, of course, a, a, a big admirer, uh, not just of what you do, but the way you go about it. So I want to dig into some of that as well. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about you is your eclectic taste in in music, especially with the covers that you do, and they they cover a whole range. I remember just a few weeks back when I came down to the Fairmont Hotel to to watch you sing. Um, you covered so many different genres. So here's where I want to go with this question, or maybe kind of do it in two parts. First is when you choose a cover, when you think about singing a song, do you just pick songs that you like or that are popular, or do you pick songs that you think kind of suit your voice? Like, do you really focus on how it's going to sound with you or do you just pick songs that are popular and that you like? So it, it's kind of twofold. So when I get to choose a song, um, most of the time when I find a song that really resonates with me, um, yes, I will choose it. I will cover it. I love it. But currently what's really guiding my repertoire is wedding clients asking me to learn songs for their wedding. So right. in that case, it's kind of out of my control whether it suits my voice or not. So what I do is I'm very aware of my vocal strengths and my vocal weaknesses. So I play towards my strengths. I will change the song however I need to, to make it sound the best that I can make it sound for my voice, for my style. And they chose me to sing at their event for a reason. They obviously like what I do with my covers. So I, I really just play into my strengths. Um, and that goes as well to um, when I'm playing live and somebody asks me to sing a song that I've maybe never played before, which happened when you came and saw right. me at the Fairmont. <laughs> I maybe played that song um, once or twice in my past. Um, as opposed to like when I was a kid and I would sing it on the regular in karaoke. But um, in the current years, uh, kind of what I do is slow it down so that I can keep up mm -hmm. and keep the same sort of tempo. Um, and again, just kind of play to like the more delicate sides of my voice. I'm not a belting singer. I, I can't sing like Kelly Clarkson. I can't sing like Ariana Grande, but I know my strengths. I, I like that sort of whispery, mm -hmm. um, delicate side. So again, knowing my strengths and playing towards those, 
that's how I kind of take the song and, and make it my own. Yeah. That, and that's the second part of the question I wanted to ask you, because uh, listeners, just for your information, the, the song that was requested of Nikita was Abba's Dancing Queen. And I just thought, I wondered, how is she going to do this one? And uh, because, you know, if I were to pick an artist um, that re- that reminds that you remind me of or the way that you sing, it would probably be Nora Jones. Nora Jones, one of my favorite oh, singers. And just you. especially early Nora Jones when she had that sort of smoky, jazzy sound. And she is absolutely one of my all-time favorites. And you remind me of her. And she's not a belty kind of over-the-top vocals kind of singer either. But I guess what, where I wanted to go with this, like, do you experiment? Like when you when you were asked to sing Dancing Queen and you you really, you have this, I think you have this very artful way of maintaining the integrity of the song, but singing it in your style. So that was an impromptu, you know, kind of on the spur of the moment. But when you're, when you're crafting a cover and you want to make it sound like Nikita Afonso, uh, what's the process? Like, how do you, like, when you say play into your strengths, maybe take us inside that process. Somebody says, hey, could you sing this song? Or give us an example of a song that was requested of you that you kind of tailored for your sound. Maybe it was a rock song that you turned into a jazzy kind of song or something like that. Take us inside that process as how that, that kind of works. Yeah. Um, actually, this happened with a song very recently, uh, the wedding that I played yesterday. I was actually asked to sing a theme song from an anime movie and i've i had never seen the movie i didn't really know the song prior to learning it so i did my research i listened to a bunch of different versions and ultimately what i ended up doing is because i was singing it for a wedding i tried to make it as romantic as possible so again it kind of slowed it down made, made it a little bit more delicate um but prior to deciding on that, I definitely tried different versions. So trying to keep it more upbeat and a little bit more lively. How did that sound? And tried it in different keys. Mm. And it's all really just experimenting till you find that sweet spot. And the sweet spot within how I sound and the sweet spot to make it fit within the type of event that I'm performing at, because you don't want to sing something super delicate and soft for, um, an event where they're wanting to at at a cocktail hour event or something where people want something more lively. It's not really going to fit. So sometimes I actually even have songs where I have multiple versions of how I do it. Mm -hmm. Valerie by Amy Winehouse is one of those, uh, for example, or even, crazy. Um, I will, I have a soft and delicate version and then I have a more lively version and it just all depends on reading the crowd, seeing what vibe and atmosphere is in the room and then trying to run with that and trying to fit everything as well as possible. Oh, I love that. Amy Winehouse, another one of my favorites. So, uh, you're, you're, we're two for two now. Uh, <laughs> I love that. So, Musical inspiration. Let's let's talk about you know who's inspired you uh, musically. Like what artists? Let's let's maybe again do this in two parts. We'll talk about growing up and then maybe currently. So when you were you know from the time you were, I mean you were performing. We say we were four years old, <laughs> but yeah. from the time you really sort of you know gr- grade ten or you look at say middle school into high school, who who are the the contemporary artists at the time? Um, you know back in the mid to late two thousands where where the, you were taking your inspiration from like who who were those artists that you were looking to and kind of trying to emulate or or getting inspired yeah. by well you definitely mentioned her already yeah, taylor uh, swift, taylor swift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm a huge taylor swift fan always have have been yeah um and she have you seen her an- have you seen her in concert 
I have. Yeah. I, mean, I, I won't, yeah. I won't get to see her for the Eras tour unless maybe she does actually come to Canada, but, right. um, I saw her red tour and her 1989 tour and it's just, oh, uh, she's amazing. She can reinvent herself to stay relevant and like, mm-hmm. I mean, even if she stayed in her country genre, I would still be listening. I love her songwriting. I love her. I just love her songs. And um, I love how she takes her career. Like she's kind of a genius in all aspects, in the business side, the marketing side, Mm -hmm. the, the actual like singing, performance, writing, everything. So definitely her. Um, I'm also a really big fan of artists like Lennon Stella, who's more in the pop realm, mm-hmm. um, and Sasha Sloan, again, more kind of pop. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think I gravitate a little bit towards them because I think we have somewhat similar voices in the way where they're a little bit more soft. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely that's, so Taylor Swift, then and now. Okay. Still huge a fan. Yeah. Um, and and now currently definitely Sa- uh, Sasha Sloan. Um mm. and also Casey Musgraves. Do you know Casey Musgraves? I the do, absolutely. Singer? Yeah, I really like yeah, her. Yeah. I really yeah. like her. Her voice. I, again, yeah. I think it's these female vocalists that um have these beautiful, delicate voices. And I'm like, mm. I want to sound like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to sound like that. So that's what I gravitate to. And also, um, as I I'm in the type of career that I'm in um, a little bit. So there's kind of two aspects to my job. There's the original stuff and then there's the event stuff. And right now I'm really focusing on the events. And some people that really inspire me now are my local musicians, my friends that I've made since moving to Vancouver that are in the same industry. Mm -hmm. They are trailblazers and I definitely look to them as mentors and I can learn a lot from them. And luckily, I'm really lucky that they don't mind having conversations with me if I have questions, If because I'm kind of obsessed with growth. Um, if I have questions, I will ask them. And I'm very fortunate that they don't mind telling me and guiding me. And Because <laughs> some people in the music industry, and I'm, I'm sure all industries, they're more competitive and they want to keep their right. secrets to themselves. They're not secrets, but... Um, you know, their tips and tricks of the trade. They want to keep them to themselves. But I'm very fortunate that the ones that I look up to don't have a problem sharing their guidance with me. Yeah. That's, so them too. That, yeah, that's fantastic. I think, you know, there's an expression out there. It kind of fits a little bit with what you're talking about in the sense that uh, the expression, I can't remember who said this, but it's the idea that you'll never get criticized by people doing better than you. Yeah. And uh, so the, the people who are competitive, holding secrets from you, all of that, just know they're probably feeling the heat or feeling threatened by you because those who are that you look up to and inspire you are usually happy to help and support you along the way. Are there any artists that you that that might surprise us given, you know, in, in a moment, we're going to sort of hear from you and those of you who know you kind of know how you sound. Are there any artists that inspire you that we like, where did that come from? Is like a, a, a hard rock singer or a, anybody you kind of like, Nikita's inspired by Metallica. Where'd that come from? Is there anything like that? I'm just curious as to whether or not, and there doesn't have to be. I'm just curious if there's somebody that you kind of admire who is not anything like you as a singer, but you kind of look to them and kind of go, I kind of like the way they go about their business or their stage presence or anything like that. Anyone that comes? Well, yeah. um, Freddie Mercury. 
Ah, okay. Queen, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, iconic performer yeah. and vocalist and yeah. songwriter. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's really that surprising. Um, I think <laughs> if anyone says they're not inspired by him, I, yeah. I, I'd, I'd be confused. <laughs> do you even like music? <laughs> yeah. Do you even like music? What's wrong well, I think you? we're, we're finding uh, some common ground here because if anybody were to ask me, who is the, the number one front man of a band to me, it begins and ends with Freddie Mercury. I think he's, yeah. he is, uh, is everything you'd want in a front man and, and, a uh, just a lead singer for a, for a band, just the stage presence, yeah. the performance, all of that. Um, I saw queen when I was, um, I think I was 12 or 13 what? years old in Vancouver. Yeah. Oh my so, God. Remember Nikita, I'm old. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> it was, it actually was, it was pretty, a pretty amazing concert. So, uh, wow. yeah. So Billy Squire opened for queen at the Pacific Coliseum and, uh, I don't know, wow. sometime, I think it was 1980 or something like that. So it was a re- really great show to go to. Um, you, um, you do, of course, we've talked a lot about your covers and, and you do a lot of you know, restaurants, lounges, weddings, et cetera, but you actually also are a songwriter and have many originals. So I want to ask you, um, I think I know the answer to this question, but I just want to confirm it. Do you have a favorite original song? Yes. Um, actually, while you were just mentioning this, I thought of another song that's really, really special to me as well. Oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. But, um, so there's two. Okay. Um, and people say they're like, oh, you can't pick a favorite song. It's like picking a favorite kid. I don't know. I have favorites. I have, <laughs> I have songs that are, I think personally well-written and, and good. And then I have songs that I'm like, why was that even an idea? Like, no, <laughs> that didn't hit at all. Um, but I'll start with the song that, um, I wrote with a friend of mine. His name is Ty Falcoa. Mm-hmm. And, um, both of us, as well as many, many, many people have struggled with our mental health in the past. And this is a song that is really related to um, being unable to communicate with your peers or family how you're feeling and being able to um, express how you're feeling. And it's a song called, I don't think I'm doing this right. If anyone's interested in that, you can find it online. Um, however, my other personal favorite song, it's a song called house on a mountain. Yeah. And it's about wanting to leave the hustle and the bustle of the city and the grind of working constantly and, um, living a little bit more of a peaceful lifestyle mm-hmm. in a house on a mountain. There you go. Um, yeah. I kind of, I kind of thought that was going to be the answer to the question, but the other, the other song as well, I, I, of course I download all of your songs and I want to support you that way. Um, Thank you. So here's what I want to do. I, I want you to, I mentioned to you before we hit record that something I've always been curious about is the process of songwriting. I have this curiosity about things that are outside of my realm of expertise. So I love to watch like chefs. For me, I Mm -hmm. love to cook and I love to learn. And songwriting, of course, you know, I I, I don't, music is not in my sort of sphere. So I am always curious about the process of writing songs. So let's maybe take House on a Mountain as the example and just talk about the process. Like what was the inspiration for that song? Uh, Did the music come first? Was it the lyrics that came first? Like maybe just break down the process of how you wrote that song and what you, maybe how many iterations of that song there were, just the way that you put that song together and, um, you know, just take us inside your, your thoughts around how you put that song together. Yeah. So this song is one that 
I, I probably wrote it under an hour and those are the best songs, the ones wow. that just come to you and they just flow super nicely. All the ideas are there and they're just developing as you go. Mm -hmm. um, the way it started was definitely the idea. All my songs sort of start with an idea, whether it's a lyrical idea or a melody idea. And then I sit down and once I actually decide to sit down and write the song, I start with the chords on the guitar or the piano. And then I try to find how can my how can my original idea of the melody or the lyrics fit within this? Um, and then sometimes also it's not it doesn't really fit into a box like that, right? So you kind of have to manipulate the chords to fit the melody and mm -hmm. and vice versa. So this specific song started with the idea. I think I was just needing a vacation. <laughs> in all honesty. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really obsessed with my work because I really love what I do. Mm -hmm. So I don't take very much time off. And as much as I love it at the end of the day, I still can get burnt out. So, um, it was during a period of time where I was just really tired <laughs> and just needed a vacation. And I was like, what if I just ran away and yeah. lived in the woods? So that was the idea behind this song. And um, <laughs> I haven't done that yet because I still love my job and I'll never do that <laughs> until I retire probably. But um, it started with um, the idea of, again, living in the woods, so house on a mountain. And then I just kind of de developed it from there and yeah. thought of more ideas of uh, different lyrical ideas. Um, what I What did I want to say? And I wanted the vibe of the song to be a little bit more folky and country to fit the idea of, camping and right. you know being a, a song that's a little bit easy to sing along to so that it's, mm -hmm. it could kind of be a bit of a campfire song mm -hmm. um and easy listening all at the same time i love that well maybe one day you can have a house on the mountain as a vacation property for those opportunities to that's uh, the goal. to get away that's the goal for <laughs> sure um could you sing it for us Yes, I would love to. Yeah, let's. Uh, I mean, I've heard it. I have it on my uh, in my Apple Music, but I'd love. We'd love <laughs> listeners to hear the song. Thank you for letting me sing it. Sure. Okay. I wanna live in a house on a mountain where the weeds and flowers grow. Get away from the lights in the city and the rush where nobody takes their time to get to know you. No one to hold you. I want a lake with a small wooden boat that holds only two. Got a cruise in the ocean with a crew and a casino and a massive swimming pool. Boy, I would now. If only I could now I'd run across the plains to get to you Across the country by train to feel yours Throw away my life and responsibilities For a weekend surrounded by the trees For a weekend with only you Sip my tea on a porch and read till the sun goes down. Throw another log on the fire, saying, Oh, must make the only sound there is to hear now. 
Let's just stay here now. I'd run across the plane to get you. I'd cross the country by train to feel yours. Throw away my life and responsibilities. For a weekend surrounded by the trees. For a weekend with only you and me. I want to live in a house on a mountain where nobody knows my name. Throw away my phone for a home on a hill and waste away my days doing what I want. That's all that I want. I'd run across the plains to get to you. I'd cross the country by train to fields. Throw away my life and my responsibilities. For a weekend surrounded by the trees. For a weekend with only you and me. Love it, love it. I, I feel like I should be. I feel like I should be applauding right now in the audience. <laughs> thank you, uh, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's a great song, and uh, certainly appreciate you playing that for us, um, Nikita. As we finish up, uh, this, of course, being predominantly an education podcast, and and you obviously you're not in education, um, but I want to bring it back to education momentarily because you know if if there's any music teachers out there listening, or may, or maybe just teachers in general, uh, you know, for all of them who are listening right now, what advice do you have in terms of how we can continue to kind of nurture and sustain the creative fire within their students. What are some things that worked for you or where your teachers along the way kind of kept that creative fire burning inside of you? And and what would you say to educators out there who are trying to either instill or sustain that creativity in their students? Yeah. So I have two thoughts. Hopefully I remember the second one once I'm done rambling about the first, (laughs) but My first one was a lot of my teachers. Um, There was uh, Dr. Grant, Selwyn Verdivo, who was my guitar teacher, and um, Tracy Fair, who was my vocal teacher, and Don Grant was my guitar teacher within the high school. All three of them didn't try to change me. They took what I was inspired by and passionate about and just helped develop that. They didn't try to um, steer me in a different direction. And I think just having that type of encouragement um, to develop my talent and my ideas Mm -hmm. instead of being told, no, that's wrong, that that was huge for me because it just kept the fire alive. And um, they were all also very, very encouraging of me writing my own songs and creating my own things. Yes, I'm in the cover world now. And I love singing cover songs, but they also um, inspired me to keep writing my own songs and performing my own songs. And then um, the second thought is all of them never, not once discouraged me from knowing that I could do this for a living. Um, There are other people in my life like 
friends, parents, and, and other, you know, yeah. other peers who tried to put in my head that you can't make money being a musician. You're going to be a poor, starving artist, and that's no way to live a life. But these instructors of mine were always so supportive, and they really helped me get my feet off the ground. They helped me find places to perform. They helped me perfect, perfect. I'm, I'm still trying to do that, but you know, yeah, they, know they taught me how to improve my craft. Um, they taught me how to put a show together to be able to put one on. So I guess those two things, they really just tried to, um, instill the idea that music for a job is can be a reality. Mm -hmm. And they just encouraged me to um, develop what was already in me rather than try to change me. Yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. wonderful. I, I mean, I know personally two of the three people that you mentioned and uh, that totally checks with who they are and yeah. uh, I'm not surprised that, that they were like that for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've got three questions. Let's do a quick one here real quick before we get to the last two questions. I want to know um, if, if, if not music, what, what would have been your career choice? Yeah, what okay. would you have done? <laughs> okay. So I'm not going to lie. I, I actually, when I was first starting out, I didn't have any backup plans, nothing, but then I moved to Vancouver and I realized, oh my gosh, this is hard. It's expensive. <laughs> it's so expensive. <laughs> um, like maybe I should have a backup plan or something like that. So yeah. while I have never actually, um, ran in that direction. I've always stayed with music. Um, there are a couple different things that I have pondered. So, um, I think I would try to dive into like the finance world. Okay. I like learning about, um, investing and all, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, also something that I've kind of been dabbling in a little bit is also working in the agency world. So it's still really related to music and the arts, but instead of the performance side of it, you're helping curate an event and um, hire other musicians. So who knows, maybe one day that'll be something that's a little bit more um, involved in, in my career or, or in addition to music. Yeah. I will also be doing a little bit more of that. Um, but for now, I, yeah, I just love where I'm at and um, I'm trying to run with it for as long as I can. <laughs> Fantastic. No, of course. I mean, maybe you can do both, right? I mean, there's, you often hear about actors who also work in casting and you know, there's ways of crossover in a lot of those, uh, those areas. Okay, so I've got two questions left as we finish up today. Okay. Now, normally, Nikita, I ask teachers, principals, educators, authors who are in the educational field, like educationally, what gets them up in the morning? Like what gets them excited? Now I'm going to ask you the same question, but it doesn't have to be about education, of course, because you're not in that field. But I just want to ask you generally, like mm -hmm. what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like what really has you excited, energized, motivated? Like what is that thing as that's a part of your career? Or maybe it doesn't have to be, but just what gets you out of bed in the morning gets you excited? I'm really, I, I mentioned this earlier, actually, okay. I'm really obsessed with growth. Okay. Whether it's personal growth in my personal life or um, in my career, and you can't you can't really grow unless you're willing to learn and try new things. And something that I'm actually just starting to do now is um, 
actually I'll start back during the pandemic. I had to learn how to live stream. Mm-hmm. And that was like, it was like a whole university course on figuring out <laughs> all these different tech things yeah. and how to run the computer properly and what mm-hmm. softwares do I need to use and learn how to use and stuff. So definitely um, daydreaming about the next levels of my career. And then um, another thing that I'm working towards now is learning how to DJ so that I can offer that as a package in for my events. And so I think the idea of growth, it's so tied to learning and trying new things and learning new things. And um, yeah, that, that really excites me because Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's infinite. Like you can, you can just keep learning and expanding so yeah, yeah I love definitely it. the idea of growth yeah the um the live streams during COVID, it did not show i remember tapping into those in the afternoon and just kind of it was a great little break in the day and um i remember uh being online it did not show that you were you know just learning that it's you seem like a pro when you were doing it so <laughs> i was always, sweating yeah it's always like that behind the scenes right behind the scenes yeah. you're, you're straight. all right last one is always about food just because i love food and uh fashion myself as a bit of a foodie Uh, You, of course, we live in the same area. We live in the Metro Vancouver area. So I'm curious, Nikita, like where's your favorite place to eat in Vancouver? I had to really think about this one because there's so many. All right, give us a few. Um, Give us a few. What do you like to eat? What's your favorite places? I'm going to tie this back to some of the spots that I sing, if that's cool. Sure, yeah, yeah. So um, one one spot that kind of actually gave me a start – back when I first started singing in restaurants was uh, Bricks and Mortar in okay. Yaletown. Okay. Um, and I love their food. Like mm-hmm. I bring my family there when they're in town. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say, hey, I'm playing at this place. Let's go. They have this amazing dish that I tried. And and they all are always changing their menu too. What so is there's it, Nikita? Always something what is the dish? What is the dish? Oh, gosh. I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to butcher this. I don't oh, okay. remember the actual like name of the dish, but it was like a seafood dish with oh, okay. chorizo oh, and yeah, it was okay. a pasta and Yum. everything they do is so good. And, and right now my current like meal fixation there, it's just one of their appies, but they have burrata and oh. bread, but it's like, it's almost like a salad and, yeah. um, you just, you know, put it on the bread. Oh, it's so good. Um, so probably bricks and mortar. Um, and then in, Richmond, there's a spot that my husband and I really like. It's called The Catch, and it's right on the water. Oh, yeah. And uh, we, yeah, we try to go there whenever we can. And <laughs> That's in Steveston, right? Yes. Yeah, Steveston, yeah. I've been there. Yeah, it's a good mm-hmm. spot for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. you've, you've mentioned some great places for sure. Uh, listeners, for those of you who don't know, uh, Yale Town is a, a, a re- purposed warehouse district in Vancouver that has just a massive conglomerate of restaurants and bars. And uh, it's a really kind of a go-to spot in Vancouver to, if you want to go just some great restaurants, some great places to eat there. So if you're ever in Vancouver, make sure you hit up Yale Town for sure. Any others, Nikita, any other places you like to eat? I, like, yes, so many, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll just keep it to keep those it there. two. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. That's yeah. great. Uh, <laughs> listeners, you can, and of course, should follow uh, Nikita. She's on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, the handle is at Nikita Afonso. She's also on LinkedIn, but that is a work in progress, as I understand, Nikita. You're yeah, just I'm still putting that figuring together. out that profile. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the website uh, is www.nikitaalfonso.com. 
Uh, Nikita, just quickly, if if anyone out there wanted to book you, um, how would they do that? Would they go to the website? What's what's the easiest, fastest way to to get a hold of you to try to book you for an event? So the easiest way would probably be go to my website and go to the contact form and you okay. can put your inquiry in there or you can email me directly at nafonsomusic at gmail.com. Okay, we'll make sure that all of those uh, links are in the show notes as well. And of course, listeners, you also need to seek out uh, Nikita's music. Nikita, you are on Apple and Spotify. How do people find your music? Yeah, I'm actually on on 99% of the streaming services. So okay. if you have any other ones other than Apple and Spotify, mm -hmm. you can most likely still find my covers and my originals. And um, you just have to search up my name, Nikita Afonso, and I should pop up. Fantastic. Uh, well, make sure we, we do that, listeners. Uh, Nikita, I'm just going to say yeah, I'm really proud of you. I just am, I'm inspired by the way you've gone about this, and uh, I'm really, really proud of what you've accomplished so far. Super excited to see where your career goes. Um, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. In Assessment Corner this week, I want to talk a little bit about how you can begin planning to push back against some of the resistors that you may be facing in this upcoming school year as you think about assessment and grading reform especially when it comes to implementing sound grading practices or standards-based grading or however you want to phrase that. But too often as change agents, we're put in the position of trying to convince people to change. Now, obviously that comes with the territory of leading an initiative or trying to transform a current practice or practices into a new one. However, it's really easy for others to just passively sit back and often without any substance, just say no or push back against an idea. And I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was working with a school district, and they were telling me that they were, not surprisingly, facing some resistance to standards-based grading. Now, what made this story interesting was that one of the resistors was quite public about his resistance. He happened to be a professor from a fairly high-profile local university. We're talking an Ivy League school. Now, his assertion, not surprisingly, was that he was against standards-based grading. Those leading the change were a bit stuck on how to respond to a college professor, especially one from an Ivy League school, because of that person's sort of status and stature in the community. Now, to be clear, this professor was not an education professor. They were a professor in an unrelated field. But obviously, education was a part of their realm because of their job. Now, my suggestion to them was to ask him to substantiate his claims, since that would be what he would expect from his students. And so here's what I suggested they say, and I'll phrase it as if I was talking to the professor himself. Okay, I would say something like this. You're a professor, so obviously you value research and the idea that any claim must be substantiated with evidence. So the question I would ask you is, upon what research are you basing your resistance? Surely this isn't just a matter of opinion or experience. I can't imagine you would allow any of your students to make a claim but not support it with evidence. So again, I ask, what research are you using or citing to underpin your resistance? There is plenty of research to support the position that we're taking in terms of standards-based grading, so I'm wondering what counter-evidence you're aware of. It's time to go on the offensive. Now, this doesn't mean you need to be offensive, but it's time to go on the offensive and ask those who are resisting and folding their arms and rolling their eyes to substantiate their resistance, right? The whole, you know, I've been teaching for 25 years and it's worked for me, that's just not good enough. 
I'm sorry. Now, the question of whether or not it works for the teacher is secondary to the idea of whether or not the practices lead to accurate and more reliable grades. I mean, obviously it needs to work for the teachers to a point in terms of sustainability and efficiency. I'm not against that at all. That, that's an, a very important part to think about. But sometimes what is effective for students and what is effective for the teachers rub up against each other and create a bit of a rough edge. And we have to default to what is best for students and what is best for clear communication. So I'll give you an example. If, if I had a policy of not accepting late work, it would be in my best interest from a workload perspective that no one meet the deadline. I would have nothing to grade. But that's not good for kids. Now, I know that's a little extreme. But I just want us to understand that there are many places where efficiency and effectiveness, again, can seamlessly work together. But sometimes what's best for kids and what's best for teachers has a bit of a rough edge. So I thought I would share a couple of questions or examples that I've used recently to kind of lead these conversations with those who are resistant to the ideas of changing grading. Here's the first one. Sometimes I'll ask in a workshop, is it ever okay for a student's grade to be dependent upon who their teacher is? But given the fact that we're all teaching the same curricular standards, should my math grade, for example, be dependent upon who I take math from? No one has ever answered yes to that question. No one that I've come across ever believes that who your teacher is should affect your grade that dramatically. So when the answer no, I say, well, I guess then we need to get rid of the percentage system because over 100 years of research shows that an unacceptable margin of error when teachers assign a 0 to 100 score after making an indirect scoring inference about quality, uh, about the quality of an assignment. I know, I know it might sound like a bit of a trick question, but it's the truth. And again, longtime listeners, you've heard me talk about that research and the reliability, et cetera, and all of that. So here's another one. Sometimes I'll ask this one. Is it ever okay for two kids who are at different places in their learning to get the exact same grade? Again, no one has ever answered yes to that question. Most people go, well, no, they're not in the same place. They shouldn't have the same grade. So once again, I will say, well, then I guess we have to get rid of the percentage system because the percentage system produces the same grade for two kids who are clearly at different places in their learning. Again, longtime listeners, you're probably going to rem remember this example because I use it all the time to try to illustrate this point. Two students score 15 out of 20 on an assessment. One student leaves five questions blank, while the other student answers all 20 questions but makes five simple mistakes. Those two students are clearly not in the same place as learners, and yet they would both get a 75%. Not good enough. Here's another one. When is it okay to purposefully miscommunicate a student's level of learning? Again, the answer is always never. So my response to that is, well, then I guess we need to eliminate late penalties because a penalty is going to distort the student's actual achievement level. Again, let me give you an example. And again, I'm just going to use percentages for effect. Now let's imagine a student has submitted an assignment and you as the teacher have judged it to be a 70. Now in doing so, you have clearly determined that what the student submitted was of an acceptable quality. However, the student handed it to you three days late. A late penalty of 10% per day would result in a 30% reduction. That turns the 70 
into a 40. So the teacher, knowing that the student's assignment was of an acceptable quality, would purposefully enter a score that says it's not. Like, honestly, I don't know how we got away with this for so many years. My, my point in all of this is that we have to start pushing back and stop allowing people, like I said, to just fold their arms, roll their eyes, and sit passively or inact, be inactive in pursuit of more accurate and sound assessment practices. As I've said many times before in the past, I say it publicly all the time, there are so many educators who would not accept these practices if it were being done to them rather than by them. Imagine a teacher's performance appraisal being done by the principal. Imagine it being lowered, not because the teacher is less of a teacher, but because the teacher is disagreeable during faculty meetings, right? They're not less of a teacher. They're just lowered because they have a poor attitude in a faculty meeting or they're a bit argumentative, you know, in those meetings. If that happened to you, you would look the principal square in the eye and ask, what does my attitude in a faculty meeting have to do with my ability to teach? I mean, imagine if the principal said, well, I'm just trying to teach you to be a more respectful colleague. Like, I don't know anyone who would accept that. Now, you might not have a choice if that's your system, but you certainly wouldn't go home happy or inspired or feeling supported. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be disrespectful. Like, but it's time for those who are resisting what is a clear and obvious need in our education systems to bring a little substance to their resistance. Should suggest to them, you know, if you've got research that tells us we're wrong, then bring it forward. Share it with us. Tell us where we've gone sideways. But if this is just resistance because we don't want to make the effort to change, then for me, again, not good enough. Bring it back to their students and ask them, would they accept any sort of unsubstantiated claims from their students? I don't think they would. Now, you know your relationships with your colleagues, and you know the level of finesse that's going to be required to navigate these kinds of conversations. So think that through. It's very important. You're not trying to damage relationships or anything, but... Just know that it is time for the resistors to put their money where their mouths are and add at least some substance to their resistance. I mean, for decades, we've known that moving toward more sound and accurate grading practices is the most favorable course of action when it comes to assessment and grading reform. Okay, that's it for this week. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, please email the podcast, tomshimmerpod at gmail.com. If you've got any suggestions for me or questions for the assessment corner piece or any other feedback about the podcast, I would love that. And a reminder to check the show notes for the links for the upcoming professional learning events, as well as for my new book, Redefining Student Accountability. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, but a rating and review on any platform will help grow the podcast reach. And if you like what you hear, please keep spreading the word about the podcast to your friends, your colleagues, or on social media. I would really appreciate that. Happy summer, everyone.